Welcome to the Zen Exotic Zoo podcast. I'm your host, Casey. I am a certified vet tech and animal care manager here at Zen Habitats. At Zen Habitats, we are focused on improving the standard of reptile care by providing high quality products and exceptional customer service. In this podcast, we'll be bringing you engaging interviews from leading experts within the animal industry, including breeders, veterinary staff, entrepreneurs, and so much more. If you're ready to learn about some fascinating reptiles and other critters, make sure you subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform. You are now listening to Casey Talks Critters, episode 15, Colubrid Collab with Lila Stratman, better known as the Goblin Queen Lila over on TikTok. It's me, Casey. I am the animal care manager and certified vet tech here at Zen Habitats. And we have a special show called Casey Talks Critters, where I invite guests um, who have expertise in different reptile fields um, that we can chat just about a particular animal um, and focus on them. So today we're talking about colubrids. So for those of you who don't know, colubrids are basically all of the rat snakes. So our corn snakes, milk snakes, king snakes, garter snakes, bull snakes, <laughs> um, so many different ones. Um, rat, yeah, basically all of the rat snakes. Um, and today my guest is Lila, Lila Stratman. She is a full-time biology student, but you might know her better for being the goblin queen over on TikTok. She's got a great following with so many um, really great videos, so much great content about reptile education and teaching others how to um, care for reptiles appropriately. So Lila's really awesome. So welcome, Lila. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that introduction, Casey. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. So who do you have with you today? This is General Tullius. He is my black rat snake. Um, I got him from Fresh Start Rescue here in North Carolina, which is an amazing rescue that if y'all haven't heard of, you should absolutely go support them because they are amazing. Um, and he is by far one of my favorites because he has just the best temperament and is one of my favorite animals to use for education. Yeah, absolutely. I love a good rat snake. Rat snakes are just amazing. I am a big fan for sure. And he's a big boy. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> yeah, he's getting huge. He's going to get an upgrade here soon for his enclosure because he's getting so big. Oh, wow. So cool. So I guess we can kind of delve into like, how did you start working with reptiles? Um, that's kind of a, that's kind of a funny story, actually. So I was, I was a combat engineer in the Marine Corps. Um, and I one day, like it had been a goal, a life goal of mine always to have a blue tongue skink. And one day I was like, you know what, I've saved up enough where I have the funds to get one, I'm just gonna go ahead and get one. So I got the setup. I don't recommend anybody do this while they're serving in the military, by the way. This is like, this was a very bad decision on my part. I should have waited, but um, I ended up getting a, a blue tongue skink. Um, I kept him in a 40 gallon at the time, which again, I also very much don't recommend, but I think it's important to highlight how we learn along the way. So that was my first reptile. And then when I started like actually working with them, it mostly began with my um, creating enclosures. I used to create custom reptile enclosures and I would vend at expos and sell them. And so I originally had a business called Lila's Lizards. And that was basically where I sold my, my various custom enclosures. Um, and then I got on social media and it's sort of grown since then. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, isn't it amazing? And now you're basically a full-time content creator and you have a great following. So that's really amazing. And that just shows people that if you want to work with reptiles or if you want to work with animals, there's so many outlets and you can go with so many different directions. And sometimes you don't even know where you're going to end up. Like for me, I didn't know I was going to end up in the retail space, um, the retail pet space. And I'm sure Lila didn't expect to be a social media person either. No. <laughs> you know? Not in a thousand years. Like I, I think that um, my space that I occupy here on TikTok is primarily like the, like uh, for lack of a better name for our community, like the ethical reptile keeping community. And I have a discord server where I've made so many good friends and I'm just super grateful for like the ethical keeping community. And I just, social media is such an amazing thing uh, with how much you can find your niche, especially here on TikTok. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid to get on social media because of, I guess, how cruel people can be with when it comes to like, the pet community as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you were a veterinary technician, like, you know how, how nuts people can be, especially in like the dog and cat space, yeah. but like the ethical community I found is so welcoming. We have so many young content creators. You know, I just turned 23. Mm -hmm. um, I have friends on here who are, you know, 16, 19, 20, um, and they're doing great with their, just starting their education career. So like literally anybody can do it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I really try to show that in this series that anyone who is very interested in working with animals, there is an outlet for you. You just got to find it and fit in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess let's talk a little bit about um, colubrids or rat snakes. Um, I think for I might just say rat snakes. If I say rat snakes, I'm referring to all colubrids. Yeah. <laughs> um, I might just slip out, say rat snake. Um, but I'm really talking about um, <clears throat> all colubrids. Mm -hmm. um, so why do you think colubrids are so cool? Oh, gosh, that is such a good question. So colubrids are my favorite family of snakes. The family colubridae is actually the largest of the snakes. Uh, colubrids inhabit every continent except for Antarctica. Um, they are such a massive family. So that includes uh, rat snakes, corn snakes. Corn snakes are, are technically rat snakes. Uh, garter snakes, vine snakes, um, hognose snakes, like it, the list goes on. So they are such a diverse group of snakes. And if I'm going to speak specifically to rat snakes, I have uh, several rat snakes this is my black rat snake and as you can see he's very very curious he has an amazing temperament um when i pull him out of the enclosure to do uh, whether it's to film or just to do some training for like him getting used to handling he is just so curious he'll pop his head right out and he'll climb right on me um i think that my experience with like rat snakes specifically is just them being very intelligent very curious snakes and in terms of their husbandry requirements I, I personally believe that, uh, so rat snakes are a very di diverse group of snakes in and of themselves, mm -hmm. but if I'm going to speak to black rat snakes and corn snakes, uh, even like Texas rat snakes, they are such a, a great entry level snake. The only thing is that they do get quite large, as you can see, he's almost six feet, but uh, they're such a great entry level snake because of their temperament, because of how easy their, their care can be in comparison to like certain pythons and boas and they have they're basically like garbage disposals for for feeders too 
Um, they, they can eat just about anything. Um, he gets a very diverse diet. General Tully is here. He gets, oh, he finally decided to come out of his little birch uh, round. <laughs> um, he gets fed anything from chicks to rodents to eggs. Um, you know, he gets fed a whole variety of rodents like hamsters, uh, small guinea pigs, uh, uh, rats, mice. Yeah. He gets fed quail. He gets fed chicken. Like there's so many different things you can feed these guys. So if you ever, like, you'll never waste a feeder basically with these guys. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And right behind me is actually Phoenix, our corn snakes enclosure. And so it's definitely a little like juxtaposed next to your naturalistic enclosure. So we're doing very naturalistic um, options for her, but in a not so subdued color palette. <laughs> um, oh, it's very pretty. Oh, well, thank you. But it gives her all of the things. But basically, I just wanted to go into saying, like, I agree with everything about the rat snakes and the corn snakes. Like, they are garbage disposals. And we feed Phoenix a very wide variety of prey items as well because she'll take them. And I think that's yeah. just really great to be able to provide that if your snake isn't picky. And in my experience, the corn snakes the king snakes and the rat snakes have all been very good eaters for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I love. I think a lot, like a lot of people, I can't tell you how many times I've had um, people on TikTok reach out to me or, or in my Discord server reach out to me and ask like, hey, like what can I do to get my ball python to eat? Yeah. Like, hey, what can I do to get my uh, boa constrictor to eat? You know, ball pythons are definitely like a huge uh, culprit in terms of, of feeding issues. So that's definitely the one I get the most, but the, you know, pythons as a whole, I've seen people struggle with. And a big part of that is gonna be husbandry. Cause like I said, like corns and, and rats, they actually inhabit most of America. So their husbandry requirements are going to be very, very basic. Uh, and they're very hardy snakes, and so like that's that's why they're such a great entry level snake. Uh, with any snake, obviously, or any reptile, any pet in general, you're gonna have to do a bunch of research. But for these guys, I just I think that there are a lot of people recommend ball pythons for like an entry level snake. I highly disagree. I think corns and rats take the cake every time, even king snakes. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. Um, it, it's definitely something that I I. Obviously, you need to do research, but I definitely do um, consider that the corn snakes and the rat snakes to be a very good um, beginner snake. I, I hate to use the term beginner, but I think it's right. a good... Well, for lack of a better word, you know, like it's yeah. an entry level, like first snake. You yes, know. simplified husbandry. And like the thing is, like, I don't want to say that they're, um, you know, very, um, they're hardy. And they, they I don't want to say that they're... <sighs> Like you can make mistakes with them and they'll be okay. Like I don't want to promote making yeah. mistakes, obviously. But the thing is, like, they're they're pretty good. Like if you do make little slip ups, they do like it's they're, they're not gonna get dehydrated from like one day of not misting or like right, right, exactly <laughs> stuff like that. Um, not saying that you should be neglecting your animals. That is definitely right, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. Um, it's funny with black rat snakes a lot of my experience with them um is with wild ones so when i was working um down in the dc um maryland area we would get tons of them in um unfortunately like stuck on glue traps or things like that um so i've i've rescued a lot of um black rat snakes over the years oh my goodness i can only imagine especially with how people people put like golf balls in their chicken coops 
to to have them eat the golf balls and then um you know die because they they can't digest the golf ball obviously and uh, i think that and, and glue traps are a huge one especially with like you know rats and corns out in the wild a lot of people are so um afraid of snakes that they don't realize just how beneficial they are uh if we're going to talk about like rats in the wild for example like black rat snakes are a huge culprit when it comes to eating eggs in a chicken coop and i would much rather uh as a chicken keeper have a black rat than have a rodent problem in my chicken coop so yeah (laughs) right exactly so you know people will put these golf balls out so that they'll swallow it and then you know yeah you've you've killed the rat snake but now you have a rat problem you know i'd much rather have have a very gentle, non-venomous, curious rat snake than have a rodent problem. Yeah. Come take some of my eggs. I'll, I'll feed you eggs. Just, you know, keep the rats at bay. That's all I ask. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they're far better at rodent control than, than cats, for example. For sure. It's like, that's why when people, not to get on like a soapbox here, but when people have like outdoor cats or barn cats and like, oh, it's there, it's my mouser. It's like, listen, we have mousers in the wild that aren't, you know, going to be extremely detrimental to, to biodiversity. These guys are as good of a mouser as it gets. Exactly. Um, and again, not to go on another tangent, but there's this really great organization called rats and it's raptors are the solution. So it's about like helping raptor, um, populations, but anyways, so yeah. So cool. I've never even heard of that. Oh yeah. So there's really great things. Um, so yes, we need to keep our natural snake populations and our natural bird of prey populations up to take care of all of those rodents. For sure. (laughs) 100%. Now, so let's see. We talked a lot about your experience. Um, So we'll talk more like your opinions about husbandry and stuff with um, rat snakes and and corn snakes and colubrids in general. Um, Mm -hmm. So do you, why are they so popular as a pet, do you think? I think that they're very popular as a pet. Well, for one thing, they are certainly an easier snake to breed. Um, they, that's part of why, like, you know, we have so many like new Caledonian geckos, for example, is because of ease of breeding with a lot of colubrids, not all colubrids, but like corns and rats, for example, uh, breeding is, is pretty easy, which makes them more accessible, um, because there are so many captive established, like captive populations, which then you have more morphs and more genetic diversity on the market. And I think another, in terms of speaking to like the genetic diversity, I think that the, just the amount of, of uh, morphs and the amount of like varied genetics in terms of what you can actually see is very interesting and makes them more desirable. Same thing with ball pythons. Cause like, this is a black rat snake, but you can find a corn snake in like so many different colors. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have leucistic corns, you have albino corns, like you have uh, okatee corns, like there's corns that are like deep, deep red in terms of rat snakes, you have uh, scaleless rat snakes. And, and I just think that like the morphology of, of rats and corns in general is so, so interesting. If we're going to speak to colubrids as a whole, because I know we were talking about, because corns and rats are obvious, well, I'd say corns specifically are, are the most common in terms of colubrids that you'll find in like pet stores and stuff. And probably kings are a close second. Um, but just the amount of, of genetic diversity is definitely appealing for a lot of people. 
Um, and scaleless rat snakes also are very interesting. I have two scaleless rat snakes. Mm -hmm. I have a scaleless white-sided rat snake. Her name is Birthday Suit because she doesn't have scales. <laughs> and I have a scaleless Texas rat snake. And I think that the scaleless gene is especially interesting because uh, compared to like scaleless ball pythons, this is actually a naturally occurring um, genetic mutation. Mm -hmm. So you can see scaleless rats and corns in the wild. So it's not like like with scaleless ball pythons, for example, you breed two scaleless head gene ball pythons to get maybe a fully scaleless ball python and they lack the um, the uh, ventral scales. So their belly scales and yeah. that is detrimental. Whereas with corns and rats, it's a naturally occurring uh, genetic mutation. So they actually still have those ventral scales to protect mm -hmm. them. Um, yeah. So just lots and lots and lots of genetic diversity and very easy to breed. Sorry, I kind of went on for too long no, there, but love it. no, 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 not at all. That's perfect. And I, I definitely agree because like with the morphs of corn, like with albinism and leucism and anaries, like you can yeah. get any color corn snake you want for the most part. And same with your kings and your milk snakes too. Like yeah. so many variations for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it goes on forever. Um, now, we talked about them being a very good um, entry level species. So are there, do you find anything tricky about them to establish? I would say the one thing about rat snakes in particular, um, in terms of like our native rat snakes here, so, so your black rat snakes, your red rat snakes, your Texas rat snakes, is the size. Um, this is a large snake i mean he is he's taller than me um i'm five foot four he's about um like five and a half feet now yeah. so they are a large snake which means that you are going to need a large enclosure their humidity requirements are easy um i think that these guys are great candidates for a uh, live planted bioactive because um they're not like super heavy bodied and they exhibit a lot of like arboreal behavior because they are semi-arboreal. And because they are semi-arboreal, because they are so active, because they get so large, I highly recommend having a much larger enclosure. Like obviously behind you, it looks like a four by two by four, am I? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> which is like a perfect size because they have four feet of height. Um, I am upgrading General Tolius here to a five by three by three here shortly. Hopefully I'm just waiting for it to come in the mail. Um, because I want him to be able to exhibit more of that uh, arboreal behavior that and you will actually see these guys in the wild climbing trees like all the time um, and they'll climb trees in order to get eggs in uh, various birds nests so they're very very active snakes um, they are typically diurnal too um, you know it depends on the season sometimes they're more crepuscular but this guy general tolius is definitely more diurnal um, so they're active they're very active during the day this is a snake you'll be able to see move around and you're going to want to give them a larger enclosure for that reason because why would you want to keep a snake in a small box if you can't even see like them exhibit their natural behaviors you know 100 percent. i totally am right there with you and i the reason why we so phoenix used to be in a four by two by four which is totally i think appropriate for a corn snake um mm -hmm. in most cases if it's a really large corn snake you might want to go with something bigger we mm -hmm. have brought her to a reptile expo um as like i don't want to say like a sample animal, but basically like to show the enclosure and mm -hmm. we put her in a four by two by four for the show and she was all over that thing, the entire show. So we were like, okay, when we get home, we have to build her a four by two by four. It just, we have, right. like, she needs it. 
Right. She's been really great. So like one thing that I love about talking about eating eggs. So I don't know if you guys can see, but this is like hanging fruit baskets. So they look kind of like bird nests and I will hide food in there for her. For her oh my gosh. Her. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's like, <laughs> that's such a good idea for enrichment. I, I should clarify a four by two, because I know a lot of people have been kind of going like bananas with, with saying like, oh, that enclosure is too small, that enclosure is too small, that enclosure is too small, when it's really like not that too small. A four by two by two, which is a very accessible size for most people. Once you get bigger than a four by two by two, it becomes uh, more difficult and more expensive to find. But a four by two by two, uh, which is, you know, a size you can find just about anywhere is perfectly fine for a corn and rat snake. Bigger is always better, but that is uh, like typically considered to be the minimum. Obviously, yeah. General Tolius here is a much larger black rat. That's why I'm upgrading him. So it all depends on your individual animal as well. But um, yeah, it's the standard four by two by two is just fine. I just, I like to see them uh, exhibit that, that arboreal behavior. Me too. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I think the one other thing that I would talk about um, or I'd like to discuss with you that can be tricky with these guys um, is that they make excellent escape artists. So I have yeah. found that especially corn snakes, they will get out of anything. They will try mm -hmm. and try. Um, so that's one that I definitely um, like to like tell people to be cautious when they bring them home. Make sure your enclosure is completely sealed. Like there is no little tiny gaps that your little noodle can fit through because they will find them and they will get through. Yeah. <laughs> Small snake. <laughs> But that's just that that's my experience keeping corn oh snakes. yeah <laughs> just... <laughs> I, um, especially when they're um when they're babies so like if you are or yearlings you know you have to be extremely careful because they will they can and they will escape mm -hmm. um these are extremely intelligent snakes uh, ju just like extremely intelligent and they will open doors like if you have sliding glass doors they will find a way to open them if you give them the opportunity um they will slip through vents if you don't keep a grate over it like you have to ensure uh check double check that your doors are all the way closed um and i these guys i would definitely definitely have locks for yes. your doors yes. um locks are Whoa. super important yeah <laughs> so so locks for your doors or for those of you like if you have like a, a yearling or or a baby or just a younger rat snake and you say you're keeping it in a like a top opening 40 gallon just make sure that it is locking lid locking lid um never ever anything that doesn't lock because these guys can and will find a way out because they are very very intelligent yes they are absolutely i definitely put that out there for first time rat snake keepers definitely so then the next question i have is like who do you think is the ideal keeper for rat snakes because i mean there's such a variety um who, who do you think it works for like i know we talked about like entry level people but like um i don't know i'm, I'm kind of answering your own question i'm so sorry <laughs> no you're good don't apologize don't apologize um, i think that the ideal like these are going to be a great snake for anybody who wants to watch a snake be a snake. Yes. If you want to watch an active snake, if you want to feed them a diverse diet, watch how they interact with their environment, this is the snake for you. Um, I, am, I keep a large, large variety of species. Um, I keep, you know, reticulated pythons, Burmese pythons, ball pythons, boa constrictors. Like I have a very wide 
variety. And these guys are the most fun to watch because they are very much like they're, they're snakes. Like you, you watch them be snakes, like how you would in the wild. And I think that that makes them perfect for anybody who, who wants to have a snake that they can watch and, and interact with, which is going to be a lot of like entry level keepers. It's also great for young keepers. Like uh, if you have a, a classroom pet, for example, and you know how to take care of them properly because there's a lot of neglected classroom pets. But if you're a teacher who can who can actually provide these guys with a, with a good enclosure and, and good husbandry and you know how to properly handle where um, there's no like liability risk with, uh, you know, the snake biting a child or, you know, obviously I'm not I'm not too familiar with classroom pets because I never had them. But hypothetically, if I was a teacher and I had a classroom pet, it would be a corn or a rat snake, um, even a king snake. I, I just find that king snakes can be a, a bit more nippy, not because they're defensive, but because they are so food driven. Like yes. king snakes, which is a, another member of the, the colubrid family, are so food driven and they also eat other snakes. So they will occasionally bite themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a California king snake here in the office and he's amazing and he is also a garbage disposal and I can get him to eat anything and it's mm -hmm. amazing. I love him. Um, but he is very like the second like he knows the sound of the tongs like he's ready like. <laughs> um, but yeah, now. Of course, because this is a Zen Habitat show. Do you think we make a product that's great for colubrids? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, Zen Habitats uh, are, are a great product because you guys have the four by two by four and extension kit. So you could even go bigger, like you could go for a six or an eight foot enclosure if you wanted to spring for something bigger to see them again, exhibit like those arboreal behaviors and, and see how they interact with their environment, particularly if you're somebody that wants just one snake. Um, and so you can you can dedicate a lot more room. Um, and then does Zen, does Zen provide locks or is that just something you would add? So yeah, all of our enclosures come with these little wire locks, but if okay. you are feeling, um, you know, you can absolutely go to the hardware store or go to Amazon and get those big jewelry case locks. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling you want a little bit extra security or if you want an actual key lock, um, but these yeah. prevent the doors. They just kind of slide in between the doors and it just like prevents it from sliding open. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is I like that y'all have a substrate shield that's clear for anybody who's into like botany. It's really interesting if you if you do like a live planted bioactive to be able to see like the root systems and be able to see like if you do like a full bioactive, you have a drainage layer to be able to see like those bioactive layers, I think is just like so cool to that that it's clear that down is. there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in my bioactive enclosures, they'll, you know, will sometimes get like mushroom growth and stuff. And I think it's so fascinating to see all like the mushroom roots. I know they're not oh roots. My God. Yeah, I love, I love, 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 love when I get fungi in my bioactives because it's it's a sign of like a really healthy, uh, really healthy bioactive. Even like people get really panicky about mold, like not to go off on a tangent about bioactives, but like people get really panicky about mold and it's like, no, 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 no. like a, a mold bloom is like very common for the start of a bioactive. That's why you want to like um, establish your bioactive first and then place your animal in. Exactly. But no, mold is good. Like all of the fungi is good. Um, yeah. You know, it's just to an extent, I'm going to say mold is good if you have like a fully molded out enclosure, obviously. Right. That's not, 
Uh, but you're, if you have like, you know, a, a good cleanup crew, your springtails will eventually get to it. And I think that people are, are a little bit too clean with their bioactives. I was actually having this conversation with another keeper. Um, his name is Alan and he's, he's awesome. And he does a series on his uh, TikTok where he talks about like uh, proper bioactives and sort of the nuance with like um, more sterile bioactives versus more natural bioactives. And um, bioactives don't have to be like sterile because it's meant to mimic their natural environment. So, you know, there's beneficial bacteria that should be present, um, beneficial fungi that if you see them, that's that's a good sign. Um, people are really afraid of sort of mimicking that natural environment, understandably, because there are like parasitic um, mites and and uh, various uh, parasitic like worms that can potentially infect your snake if you were to say like go outside and just shove some random dirt outside but like um, a good product is like is like um, any sort of beneficial bacteria promoter for your soil your substrate yeah um, we actually sell one on our website from josh's frogs it's like a bioactive booster and it yeah works yeah like that's perfect like exactly yeah. Mm -hmm. works really, really great for stuff like that to get that beneficial bacteria started. Because that's really the hardest thing. Because like, if you don't have poo, essentially, you don't have the animal in there making bacteria, you have to right. provide bacteria first. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, so I guess next we I would love to talk a little bit about um, questions from our fans. So um, I saw one was um you know, well, one that we had gotten um, was in regards to heat. And I we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, overhead heat versus under tank heat. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about it. What's yeah. what do you think? <laughs> so I I'm going to sip on my haterade when it comes to under tank heat. Um, there is a time and a place for for under tank heating. I use heat mats for my dubia roaches. For example, I breed dubia roaches. I breed um, a bunch of feeder insects for, for my lizards. Um, so there is a time and a place for it. If it is monitored with a thermostat, that's super important because these things can overheat and start a fire so easily. So if it's monitored by a thermostat, they can also be good for supplemental heat in quarantine. But in terms of your permanent enclosure, your permanent housing for your animal, it is gonna be, in my opinion, so important to provide overhead heating because when you look at like their natural habitat, overhead heating comes from the sun. And when you like actually look at from like a biological standpoint, how these animals uh, absorb heat. So they these animals are exotherms. So what that means, not to like go on to like a, a tangent, no, this is exactly I am a bio student. I wanted you to talk about it. This is exactly why I questioned it just the way I did. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm super into biology. I'm a veterinary bioscience uh, student right now. So I'm, I'm really into this whole thing. So they are exotherms, meaning that they need heat sources outside of themselves. We are endothermic, so we produce our own heat internally. These guys thermoregulate with their environment, which is why you need a cool side and a warm side. In the wild, these guys thermoregulate with the sun. So they will, you'll see them basking on like slate or, or basalt or whatever stone is present. You know, they'll, they like to bask on stones a lot. You'll see them basking like by ponds a lot because typically, um, you know, foliage is less thick there. They'll have more access to the sun, especially rat snakes. You got, you'll see these guys bask in the wild all the time and they need uh, 
a variety of um, UV rays. So overhead heating provides UVA, and you should also be providing these guys with UVB, which is a very new thing. Uh, a lot of reptile keepers don't provide their snakes with UVB because this is such a new discovery uh, in keeping that snakes benefit from UVB as well. So they need uh, a heat source that will actually properly penetrate their skin. And it's proven that the best heat source for snakes, for lizards is going to be halogen bulbs. So halogen bulbs are by far what I recommend. Um, I recommend halogens and I recommend linear UVB, not coil UVB. And there's a whole bunch of companies that do, um, is all right if I recommend specific companies? Of course, absolutely. Okay. I recommend um, Reptisun linear UVB or Arcadia linear UVB. And Arcadia is a really, really good company because they also sell halogens and they have like really, really good care guides in terms of lighting that is very up to date, in my opinion. They do, absolutely. And we actually do sell Reptisun and Arcadia products right on Zen Habitat's website. For those of you who are not familiar with that, we have a bunch of accessories too. So um, we have that stuff now too. So it's all in one shop. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love Ar Arcadia lighting, um, definitely hands above. Their care resources are really great too. Um, and I think they're so awesome. Um, so in, um, I did see a question about deep heat emitters. So I will use deep heat emitters, um, for nighttime use typically because they don't produce any lighting, um, where your halogen is going to produce, um, UVA, let me get that, is it, or is it the infrared A? I get them so confused. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, yes, the IRA, exactly. Zoe, you got it. Thank you for answering that question. Um, so yes, you want to use physical light. Um, so that they get the visible um, IRA and then the deep mm. heat projector is great for nighttime use because it is um, it doesn't produce any actual like heat emitting light. I mean, visual. <laughs> I can't talk. Um, no, it doesn't have visual light. Um, so I really do like that for nighttime use. Um, I actually prefer them over um, ceramic heat emitters um, because they do penetrate better than mm. a ceramic heat emitter. Uh, one thing I'll say is about deep hit heat emitters as they're great if like you obviously know like each individual keeper is going to know their environment best. A lot of reptiles, depending on how cold your home gets, don't actually need supplemental heat at night because sure. night drops are more natural for them to have a drop in temperature at night, um, you know, like 60s, 70s. It all depends on your your own your your home and, and the species you're keeping. And I forgot to say this, but in terms of like under tank heating, like heat mats, uh, the other thing is a lot of times, like, so heat comes from the sun, so it's coming from overhead. So if you have a species that's fossorial, like um, a sand boa, for example, mm -hmm. it's going to be very unnatural for them to burrow and then have their heat source below them because typically they burrow and get cooler they're getting away from the sun so that is another issue with with heat mats but yeah absolutely and you're right about the nighttime heat i actually don't use personally i don't use it at night um the only animals that i use my dhps on are our panther chameleons because uh, they're yeah. they're just sensitive little boys <laughs> super fragile guys yeah <laughs> they're the only ones that i'm like okay you need consistent temperature 
constantly. Right. <laughs> I'm um, get sick so fast. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but yeah, I think we went over a lot of really great um, colubrid stuff. So now I kind of want to talk about um, stuff about you, if that's okay. Okay. So um, if you were to give advice to someone who's looking to pursue a career similar to you, um, what would you recommend that they, what, what are some, some things that you would recommend? So my biggest advice for anybody is to go to school. Mm -hmm. I think, like you don't have to there's you can get a lot of knowledge through just your own research and and through like various work experience i am somebody who really values education in the united states that that is a very like it's a tricky thing because of how expensive it is but for people who are younger like people in high school and i know how much it sucks to like have to pay for college and have student loans um i, I was in the military so i literally like suffered the suck for you know years in order to have my my post final MGI bill, but like education in high school, make sure that you're getting good grades so that you can get into a good college, you can get into a biological field, you can get into a zoological field. You know, there are so many good STEM fields that you can go into that will give you a really solid background for anything zoology. Um, like I, I have like a whole bunch of notes down here about like the phylogeny of snakes because like I just think that it is so interesting and you'll be able to connect concepts a lot easier if you if you go to college and and even if you don't go to college like for example like you went through uh veterinary technician school like that is a great that that's amazing education um or if you if you're somebody who has your bachelor's going to veterinary school which is again super expensive but like uh -huh. it, it, it is a very tricky thing because of how much money it is but yeah. I'll boil it down to just education is so important. Even if you don't want to get like your bachelor's, just keep reading, keep learning, and, and that'll give you a solid basis as to like how to understand academic literature, how to stay up to date with, with um, modern and, and ongoing research. Like I just mentioned, the UVB issue is, is very new in reptile keeping. So yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I can see in the chat, we're talking about LED um, spotlights and um, there's a little not I don't want to say a debate, but like using LEDs within your enclosures. And um, so if you're doing bioactive, you're going to need some sort of LED for your yeah. plant growth. And so that is also new because like everyone is like, oh, my God, LEDs are so bad for your animal's eyes. But really, um, you know, it's not it's it's really like it's actually beneficial as long as it's not colored UVB or uh, uh, LEDs and stuff like that. Yeah. I use LEDs for all my bioactives. Oh, I saw Dakota is also in our chat who said you could drop out of high school and become a YouTuber, which is, you got I'm actually, I'm a big fan of Dakota. It's crazy he's that he's guy. in the chat. I love Dakota's I think... a really good friend. He's, he's an awesome dude. And I'm really happy that he joined our live as well. Um, but yeah, so um, I'm not recommending dropping out of high school, Dakota. <laughs> I didn't know he dropped out of high school. I just, I've been watching his videos since like I was in high school. So exactly. he's, he's crushing. It wasn't that long ago, just so we're clear. <laughs> um, all right. So let's see. Um, what is, okay. Next question about Lila stuff. Um, what is one common myth that you would like to debunk about your profession? Oh, geez. Um, that is such a good question. I think that people make it out to be a lot more dangerous than it is. 
Um, I've actually like, like Zoe's in the chat right now. We're discussing, like I've had many conversations with her. She keeps a lot of species um, and, and a lot of venomous, like she's trained in venomous. And we were having a discussion about like, uh, if I wanted to get trained in venomous. And like I said, going back to the education thing, it really boils down to education. When I get bit by, um, if, if I get bit by one of my my reptiles, uh, whether it's one of my monitor lizards or one of my, I actually have been bit by one of my colubrids. I got bit by my scaleless Texas, Texas uh, rat snake. It's always the keeper's fault. It's not because you know you have this incredibly defensive snake that's out to get you, trying to eat you. Snakes are never ever going to try and eat you. I mean, this guy. Some people like the. You know, most people, I'd say, because a lot of people are very uneducated in, in reptiles, would look at like General Tullius and they'd be like, oh, he's, he's trying to eat you. Mm -hmm. This is not a snake that would ever try to eat me because he couldn't. No, like, this, like, you know, yeah. how big is his di Look at me and look at the size of his digestive tract, you know? Exactly. <laughs> like he physically can't do it. It's right. just, so like people make, make it out to be <laughs> a lot more dangerous than it is. It is on the keeper to keep themselves safe and to keep their animals safe. Um, and, and it's, you know, reptiles aren't out to get us. Like I definitely have, have more defensive reptiles. I have a, a tegu, a black and white tegu which they're actually illegal here in my state. So I, I have to re-up my permit every year because I was grandfathered in, thankfully. Mm -hmm. And he is by far my most offensive reptile. Mm -hmm. So I take precautions when I when I handle him. Yeah. I target train him. I make sure I'm wearing pro protective gear if I'm, I'm training him to be used to handling. Um, it is 100% on the keeper. It is never on the animal. These animals are not out to get us. That's right. You're absolutely right. And I, I would love to break the stigma that the majority of people have about being scared of reptiles. But I know it's going to take a long time before we get there. But if we yeah. keep making fun educational content with cute critters, it'll right. eventually happen. <laughs> um, but let's see. Um, so is there any challenges that you're facing in your current roles um, that you yeah, like any any challenges that you might be battling right now um, with school or with any of your projects? Well, so finances are always tricky. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a very, very real thing with, with reptile keeping. There is just realistically not a lot of money in reptile keeping. Um, even people who breed, a lot of people who breed, breed as passion projects. I know that we had a conversation, Casey, about you wanting to breed your crested geckos. Eventually it was Cressies, right? Yeah. Like, so, you know, and that's a passion project, obviously, for you. Mm -hmm. um, and like, there just isn't a whole lot of money in it. So, you know, I, I have to work outside of just TikTok, for example, like I, you know, I do content creation, it's my passion, I would love to have content creation be my full time job. But it is very difficult to have that be my main source of income. I am fortunate enough, uh, having served in, in the Marine Corps, I now get paid to go to college. And a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So that helps me out substantially. But, you know, I'm paying, like I, I own this house by myself. So I'm covering my mortgage and my bills and then all the food for the animals. I have 30 animals in total. Um, and, and budgeting is something I have to do monthly to make sure that everybody gets what they need. And then when it comes to upgrading, especially now that I live alone, and I'm, I'm again, I'm fortunate enough where I have a lot of savings from my military service, so I can uh, allocate that towards my animal care. Um, but like, they, they, it's definitely something in terms of upgrades that you have to plan ahead, plan over time. 
Um, like I wouldn't be able to buy all of my upgrades at once. No. Um, cause as your animals grow, give them bigger enclosures as you learn more. Cause like the reptile keeping hobby is like, I, like I said, it is con constantly changing, right. constantly coming out with, with new findings. So, you know, UVB, I'm, I'm making sure everybody has UVB. I'm making sure that everybody gets bigger, bigger enclosures. I'm making sure mm -hmm. that, um, oh, this, this snake just got discovered that they really like spending time in the water. Okay. Now I'm going to give them a much bigger water source and make sure that it's filtered, you know? So yeah. financially it's a challenge for any reptile keeper that it, that isn't like working full-time in animal care. And even if you are, um, a lot of like typical animal care jobs, like if, for example, veterinary technicians are very overworked and underpaid. Um, you know, so, so finances are very, are very tricky for, for most people working in, in animal care and, and animal education, but it, it's very much based on passion and it's based on drive. And I think that it's super important to be financially literate when you have any animal, because you, you have to make sure that you're planning ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you are responsible for that life and right. they need to be taken care of too. <laughs> for sure. And if you get to a point where you're not, you know, like you can't afford it, like then it's time to reassess. Like right. you have to reassess because you have to take care of you too. Like you can't be like, oh my God, I spent my last $50 on a bag of rats. Like yeah, to take care of you too. Like <laughs> 100%. And, and there's no shame in, there's no shame in rehoming because, mm -hmm. you know, reptiles are so accessible, mm -hmm. so accessible. Um, at, at just any pet store really and so many people will buy these animals whether it's for themselves or for their kids thinking that it's going to be easy um having done no research and the same thing applies to like small mammals and even birds unfortunately because of how accessible they are and then once they find out that they can't take care of this animal or that they can't um give enough time to this animal and this is what happened for a lot of my rescues including my ferret um that's when you when you should rehome. And the only issue with rehoming is when you rehome, always make sure that you have a rehoming fee to cover to, to make sure that that person can actually pay for this animal. I'm not saying like charge them $500, like $100 rehoming fee. Um, and just ensure that you know, the person that you are rehoming them to understands that animals care. Um, because there are people who will will snatch just any animal up on Craigslist and, and then flip them. Uh, flippers are a huge thing in, in the reptile keeping community, unfortunately. Yeah, no, for sure. That is a tough one. Um, but yeah, rehoming, nothing wrong with it. It's definitely best for the, the critter. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's see. Oh, here's a great question. If you could go back and tell your 18 year old self any piece of it any piece of advice what would it be um no it wasn't that long ago for you <laughs> no but a lot has happened in four years right there are uh geez okay i might i have one piece of advice but i don't want people to get the wrong idea there are options outside of the military for you a lot of options uh, I do not regret my military service. Um, mm -hmm. I don't because I, you know, I, I'm very proud of what I've accomplished. I was in a combat MOS, so not to go down this rabbit hole, I was in a combat MOS, which is very, very recently open to women. And I was not treated with respect uh, for that reason. So I would just, 
or explore the officer route would be a huge one because uh, I wanted to be a, a recon and I ended up, I stayed in a combat MOS, but I ended up not being reconnaissance. I was, like I said, combat engineer. So I, I basically worked with uh, explosives and breaching. And, you know, I, I would tell myself, like, look into the officer route, go to school and focus on school, um, especially because I, I would hope that somewhere along the way I would realize animals are my main passion and I can get started much earlier. Um, so like there, there are other options, you know, mm -hmm. um, but if it was something that pertains to animals, I would tell myself to plan, <laughs> plan ahead for every animal you get. Yes, I think that's that's excellent advice. And um, and again, thank you for your service. Um, I don't have any military experience myself, but um, I give you a lot of props for that. So thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm like I said, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of my military service. But um, there are a lot of not again, I'm not gonna get on my soapbox here. There are a lot of issues um, with with the culture in the military surrounding uh, women and, and um, a whole bunch of things to be honest. Yes, no, I totally understand for sure. Um, well, I have one more question for you. And it is, what is one question that I didn't ask you that you wish I asked? <laughs> um, that, that is a really, oh gosh, I don't even know. I guess I kind of want to nerd out on like the the um, biology of these yeah, snakes. Do it, you said you wrote out all of the phylogeny and stuff. T yeah. Read it to like, me. Do, tell me what you wanted to talk about. Well, I just wanted to talk about like certain traits of, of colubrids and I'll, I'll try to make this as quick as possible because I know okay. we're wrapping up here. Let's, let's um, I'm excited. So there is something called a vestigial structure in biology, which is basically um, something that the ancestors of that um animal had that they no longer like they no longer need but is still present for example like the pelvic hip bone in whales um colubrids don't have the vestigial structure of legs there are in boas and pythons remnants of hind legs and you can see it that's like little claws by their vent and colubrids one of their main traits is that they are completely legless so they do not have that structure. Um, additionally, there's a couple things that I think are really interested, interesting about them physically, like rat snakes. One of the main things that I think is so appealing about them, and corns have this too, but especially rat snakes, is they're like little googly eyes. They have these goofy looking eyes that are just so like almost like they look like googly eyes, like they're almost cartoon like. And I think that that is just so adorable um, and makes them um, makes them very unique compared to uh, like most boas and pythons and, and um, snakes, like uh, most venomous snakes. And then their belly scales are strictly horizontal. So they go straight across and they don't have up until their vent where it just splits into two. Um, so there's a lot of things physically about them that I think is, is just so interesting. And there's, their scales in general almost look like chain mail. Yes. So that's sort of like the very basic things that I think, I, I think is really interesting about them. Um, sorry, I'm just like checking my notes. Cause like, I'm like, I know there's other stuff. They also don't have a left lung. So yeah. they've got a functional left lung. So <laughs> just some, some little interesting things that help you like 
I mean, obviously you're not going to be like, does he have a lung when you're trying to identify snakes? But um, <laughs> not, do not use the eyes as an indicator of what species it is because mambas actually have very similar eyes to rat snakes. If anybody's like seen a um, mambas, green mambas, black mambas, they also have little googly eyes and it's very deceptive because they are extremely venomous. But yeah, if you see these guys in, in America, um, those are some, some identifiers. They also have like the, their head scales are very plate-like. Um, and compared to like, like my reticulated python, I'm looking at him over there. He has like a whole bunch of scales on their head. They have very few head scales that are very flat and large compared to their boa and python cousins. That's why they're so cool, like when right. they are scaleless, because they usually just have like a few and they kind of look like extra eyeballs. And I think that's so cool looking. Yeah, I thought about having, I thought about pulling out um, one of my scaleless just to show, because like it's so, I could, like he's right over there. Um, if you'd like to, we can take a look at your scaleless as a little bonus part at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, like, I don't want to hold you hostage. No, no, bring them out. We're, okay. we're we're good. <laughs> I'll put uh, I'll put General Tullius back. Yeah. So what we'll do is like, obviously this part will be edited out. So when we'll have this on the park on our podcast, and we'll also have it on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm very bonus. You're scaleless. Oh um, I have two. I have my scaleless. I'm. I think I'm going to show my baby just because she's gonna be easier to manage Whoop. love the sound of those front opening doors yeah <laughs> although she ah never mind she's in shed oopsies oh. yeah i'll spring for the <laughs> texas rat then because i don't want to i don't want to bother when like, she's I'm in shed this animal and then i go to get it and like i'm like oh i can't i can't handle you right now sorry <laughs> yeah it's like i definitely don't want to uh to bother her while she's uh in shed yeah let's not upset the poor baby <laughs> oh i actually that happened to me um on a live the other day with my amazon tree boa um he was like mid shed when i went to go take him out and then he bit himself and i was like oh no oh no <laughs> oh yeah i got him Hopefully he didn't musk on me. Oh, <laughs> you know, time will tell right. very shortly. He's very squirrely compared to uh, General Tully. Oh, there he goes. Oh, such squirrely. a cool snake. This is my scaleless Texas rat snake. I'm trying to get him to look in the camera. Oops, oh, super wow. squirrely. You can see his head scales. So cool. That's an awesome snake. Oh my God, Lila, thank you for sharing him with us. He's gorgeous. He's super active. I was talking about how rat snakes are super active. Here you go. That's he that's wants to go snake. go go. You want to know how they act? That's that's how they act. <laughs> yeah, he wants to go go go. Especially my Japanese rat snake, oh. um, which is a, an arboreal species of rat snake. They like I pull him out, and he's just he's just zooming. Yes. Um. And here in the office, she's got a blue beauty, and he is also a very active active snake. Oh gosh, they're beautiful. They're so gorgeous. Yeah. Um, you can see the scales that he still has and those ventral scales I was talking about. Mm -hmm. are so you can still, still get around. No problem. Oh, I love it. Very cool, Lila. Oh my God. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I think we've had such a great discussion and we've gone over so much cool stuff. Um, but 
I'm going to do a little bit of a plug-in for Zen. So if you guys aren't following us here on TikTok, make sure you're following us and make sure you're following Lila on TikTok. Um, she is, she should be all tagged, you know, uh, the Goblin Queen Lila or Goblin Queen Lila. Um, make sure you follow her too. And then we are on a bunch of other social media platforms. We have a Facebook page and Instagram. We have a YouTube channel and this will also be on our podcast. So make sure you go to your favorite podcast platform and search for the Zen Exotic Zoo. And I will get this posted up within the next couple of days. And I will also have it posted up on our YouTube channel. So yeah, everything's been really great. It's been so much fun chatting. Um, do you have any more questions for me, Lila? Um, I don't, I just, I just want to say, I'm super grateful that you invited me on and, you know, I, I got to, I was fortunate enough to, to speak to you for the first time when I was, I was like getting ready for a Halloween party or something. And I'm just really grateful that, that you invited me on and, and gave me an opportunity to talk about these amazing critters and, and hear your experience. Um, you know, I'm very inspired by the fact that like you worked in as a veterinary technician and you're licensed vet tech, and now you work for Zen, like that is that is literally so cool and it's a big inspiration to me so just thank you for giving me this opportunity oh lila it's been such a pleasure i thank you so very much and maybe we'll do another episode on some big snakes later oh my gosh i would love that i geek out <laughs> on my big boys yes okay we'll definitely do that so thank you all again for watching and make sure that you follow us and lila on all of the social media platforms and we're gonna definitely, um, I'll take some clips from this so we can um, post some videos and, um, and Lila, you can share them uh, along as well. All right, well, it's right, been so thank fun. you. Thanks guys, have a good one. Bye. Bye.